Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everyone. Welcome to um, ACB Students' presentation on disability history and awareness inflammation in society. Um, my name is Minha, and I'm the president of ACB Students. Um, so I'm actually going to turn it over to one of our ACBS board members, um, who's going to be our facilitator today, Aaron Espinosa. Hey there. Thanks, Amin. So yeah, I'm, my name is Aaron Espinosa. I currently serve as Director 2 for the ACBS, so the National Students uh, Affiliate, and currently the President for the California Student Affiliate. And we'll get we'll get started. Um, uh, first, I'll introduce our presenters, our panelists. Uh, we'll start off with Min Hong, the current president of the ACBS students, and from the AFB, we got uh, Dr. L. Penny Rosenblum, the director of research for the AFB, and we should be getting ACB president Dan Spoon joining us in a little bit, hopefully. And uh, so, yeah, like Min was saying, this is brought to you by the ACB students. And if you want to, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ACB students, on Facebook at ACB students. And so, yes, this uh, seminar is about disability education, history, and awareness. And I want to kind of start off um, about the backstory about how we even had this idea. So this idea kind of started from uh, kind of the, uh, this happened because of TikTok, actually. People were discrediting the achievements of Helen Keller. They were calling her a fraud. A lot of them were just joking around, and it was a lot of teenagers just joking around. But there was actually a small percentage of people that didn't believe Helen Keller was possible and did the stuff she did uh, because she was deafblind. And this was way back in the day when the technology is not where it's at. So there was still a small percentage of people that that didn't believe she was capable of what she accomplished. And that's kind of the backstory of how this started. So I kind of want to start off, but that kind of leads to my first question for you guys. Why do you think there's a small percentage or where does that disbelief come from? Like um, about Helen Keller being deaf, blind and, and basically disabled people not being to achieve or, and the general public not, be, not believing we can achieve what we have and what we could uh, achieve. So we'll start off with, with you, Min, and tell me if you don't understand the question so I can explain it further or I can repeat it. But we'll start off with you, Min. Sure. Okay, so this is actually something um, that when I was reading about it and kind of hearing about this small percentage of, uh, you know, kids on TikTok um, not believing in Helen Keller and thinking she was a myth, I was like, this is really ridiculous. Um, you know, like Helen Keller is such a fixture um, such a role model for a lot of disabled people. Um, and I think in the disability community, we just kind of know of her accomplishments um, as a deafblind woman and speaker and advocate um, during a time when that was just so novel. Um, and, you know, but kind of hearing this generation um, thinking she was a myth and um, just propping her up as kind of like a inspirational story that parents tell children. Um, it's kind of really disheartening. Um, 
And I think you know, Generation Z, <laughs> uh, we talk about generations, um, I think they have information at their fingertips. Um, we all do at this point um, that they just can't believe that, you know, without technology, without the help of all of the innovations that we have now, how someone like Helen Keller with her multiple disabilities could succeed. Um, and I think it's a sign that, you know, disability history and education and awareness still has such a long way to go to reach the newest generation. Uh, okay, uh, Dr. Uh, Penny. Um, well, first off, Aaron, if it's okay, I just would love to take a moment to introduce myself. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry so if I didn't. I did a bad job about that. For a ten, no, you didn't do a bad job, but I just, I just think it helps to know who's here and a little bit about yeah. my background. Obviously, you folks all, all know me, but you don't know me. So um, I happen to be the director of research at the American Foundation for the Blind. We're getting ready to celebrate our hundredth uh, birthday in September. So we've been around for a long time. Helen Keller actually worked for us for 40 years. So she very much was um, a key player in the beginning of AFB's um, life. She traveled extensively, not just in the United States, but throughout Europe and other countries representing the American Foundation for the Blind. I think, um, and I also want to share that anybody can go to afb.org forward slash history and you'll find the Helen Keller archives that are fully accessible for folks who are screen reader users. If you have um, low vision like myself, I happen to have low vision. We have descriptions of the pictures because I know for my own self, there's, you know, I get maybe the gist of it, but I miss a lot of the details. And, and so every, we have transcripts of video clips that Helen Keller is in. So um, if you can't hear the audio, you can read the audio and they're captioned. So, I really want to encourage folks to go to the AFB Helen Keller Digital Archives and spend some time there. And part of the reason I'm bringing that up is Helen Keller met lots of different presidents, lots of different famous people, and advocated for, um, let's say, women's rights, for example. So if you go to the archives of some of our presidents, like President Eisenhower, you're going to find information about his interaction and letters and other things where Helen Keller was involved. So, you know, my thought, first thought is to any people who feel like Helen Keller, quote unquote, is a myth, well, then you're saying there's a lot of other people who have had interaction with Helen Keller um, in very public places like parades in Japan or England. How can a myth be doing that? So that's really my first. Um, Response is often on the internet, people make comments with no basis. And when we go back to original source material, it's very easy to prove those comments wrong. So thanks, Aaron. Yeah, right, right. And I also think it comes from, well, uh, say like a non-disabled person or even a disabled person that has a bad attitude, they think, well, why well, can't accomplish that? Well, if I can accomplish that, then definitely a deaf blind person, especially back in the day, definitely can accomplish that. Do you also think that plays a factor or that's another reason people kind of discredit her or have a reason to discredit her? Or even people now, they can, they uh, think, well, I can't do it. So definitely you can't do it as a disabled person. 
Absolutely. Um, Miss Penny Rosenblum again. Erin, I think absolutely that's very much a, a case. We we as a society, not those of us on this um, meeting today, but we as a society make a lot of assumptions about people based on any differences, whether we're talking religious um, beliefs, whether we're talking um, ethnicity, whether we're talking skin color, whether we're talking disabilities. Um, as a society, people tend to pigeonhole or have stereotypes towards different groups of people who are different than themselves. So, you know, the, the traditional stereotype is that people with disabilities are helpless, that, you know, they, they, they need to be taken care of. They're not independent. And Helen Keller very much um, went against, especially the stereotypes of her, her day, in the early 1900s through, through the mid-1900s, um, you know, she really was a trailblazer. And a lot of people have trouble, I think, accepting the fact that somebody who had both a hearing and a visual impairment could really do the things she did. Amen. Uh, any additional comments about that? Um, well, I, I think sometimes people kind of um, aren't open-minded enough um, sometimes when it comes to, you know, people who are marginalized, but especially people with disabilities, um, you know, the comments that I've gotten throughout my life definitely prove that. And I'm sure everybody in this room have had gotten comments about how, you know, they, like non-disabled people um, can't imagine how they would be able to live life as a blind person. Um, so I think it's a matter of, you know, living our lives and proving that we can um, and kind of push through those stereotypes. Um, and this is not just for non-disabled people, right? Like, I think we've also encountered disabled people who may have, um, through no fault of their own, um, grown up in a world where they've internalized um, those negative stereotypes, those, you know, the ableism in our society. And they say, I can't do this, or you can't do that because of your disability. Um, so we have to like work together and show those people that we can. It's just a matter of adapting and being flexible. Right. Yeah. Okay. I hear the both of you guys. Um, and now to the next category that I that I uh, had written up. It's about independent disability, independent disability awareness. So this is people independently making the public aware. And this is her name is Molly Berg. Uh, she's a famous YouTuber. I don't know if everybody here that's listening knows her. So I'll give a little backstory. So as I was saying, she's a famous YouTuber. Uh, she resides in Los Angeles, but she's from uh, Canada. And she currently has 2 million YouTube subscribers. So most of her subscribers are cited. And she does she does a lot of videos. Uh, it comes in two categories, explicitly blind-related and implicit uh, blind-related. So like in the title, it won't say blind. And, and so, and I tracked 88 videos. I, I tracked a year worth of her videos, which took me a long time. And it was 88 videos in total. And I'll give you some of the sense. Uh, so on average, the length of the videos is 23 minutes, uh, 200,000 views, and about a 1,000 uh, comments on each video. But the reason I bring her up is, so there was a, some backlash in, around January about about her because some uh, a lot of blind people were saying, well, she doesn't repent. 
uh, represent me because this is how I do it, uh, or, or this is how I do it, and she's not doing it the way I do it. So she's uh, not not representing me right and the community right. And a lot of people criticize her because she has a lot of she has a lot of resources, whether financial resources or other resources available that that the general blind community doesn't. A lot of them. A lot of them have trouble with the school, housing. So she got a lot of backlash uh, because of that. But do you think it's uh, some antidote evidence has shown people by their friends or, or just people in general on the streets will be saying, hey, uh, you know who Mollyberg is? Or, hey, I think Mollyberg do this this way. Uh, can you do this? And a lot of people say, well, I don't do this that way or uh, along those lines, do you think it's better to have one person? It'll be better if we can all represent ourselves. But do you think it's better to have one person uh, represent the blind community, even if even if we don't do the task the same way? It's better for people to assume that we can do the task, even if we don't do the task that way. It's better for people to already assume that we can do something, even if we don't do it that way. Um, we'll start with you, Doctor Penny. Um, what do you think about that or her? I've never heard of Molly, um, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no I don't. Could you give me like two or three topics that she's talked about just out of curiosity? Maybe uh, Yeah, I'll give you like out. a blind one and a non-specific blind one. So like a non-blind one that she's talked about like on her videos is she introduces people to like her boyfriend to her luxury apartment and a blind specific one where she talks about why uh, the general public shouldn't use the word handicap. And another blind, a blindness specific one is um, a five facts of, about blind people that the general public. So she's basically bringing awareness to blindness. And Thanks. That, that helps yeah. a little Aaron with some background. So, so I happen to have low vision. So I ride a, I ride a single bicycle. Um, I'm very careful where I ride. I tend to ride the same routes, and I'm probably the only person in Tucson, Arizona, who slows down for a green light because I want to arrive at that intersection <laughs> when the light's red because I want that parallel traffic with me. Okay, so I ride a bike differently than my friend Barbara, who I rode with this morning, who's fully sighted. We both ride bikes, but we approach it very differently. When I have to make dinner, which I don't do very often because my husband's a great cook. If we're having spaghetti, I put the water on before I make the salads because the water has to boil for like 15 minutes. My husband, on the other hand, has to make salads first because he doesn't want to contaminate the vegetables with anything. I still can't figure out how water in a pot could contaminate it. <laughs> you know, that's his process. He has to make the salads first. Um, and, and then he wonders why it takes two hours for him to make dinner. I have learned to leave the room and I go in my house because I just can't be there. Um, so my point in this, besides making me laugh here, I mean laugh, is is different people approach things differently. And I would hope um, that that this woman who's doing these videos would acknowledge that as part of her. This is the way I do it. These are the five facts I think are important. This is the way I travel. Um, and, and would potentially invite others to, to join her. If she's got this big of a following on YouTube, would potentially invite others to join. So maybe this is something that AACB student group can do is reach out to her and just say, hey, you know, we love your videos. Wondering if you'd consider having some of us as guests because we'd like to share our perspective, which is a little bit different than yours, but that way your viewers will get different perspectives. And I think it's really important that we help society recognize that 
you know, just like all white 50 something year old middle-aged people like me aren't the same, not all low vision or blind people or deafblind people are the same. And when we have, you know, Helen Keller out there on a flag, um, so many people think that vision and hearing are combined, or so many people think that a visual impairment means that you're totally blind or that legal blindness means that you can't see anything. Um, and yet, look, that person's walking around and using their vision. So there's so many misconceptions out there, and we don't want any one person trying to represent it all. So I, I'm, I'm sort of hoping I was in the ballpark of what you were looking for, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, Min? Yeah, so um, I would definitely agree with um, Dr. Rosenblum. Can I call you Penny? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Call me Penny. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, I I think when it comes to disabled people, um, our the general public and society kind of want to have this one person to kind of look at and um, use an example and um, Molly is a you know great example of that um, she has a lot of followers and a lot of views on YouTube when there are other disabled um, people on YouTube you know figures um, I think they're called influencers now um, you know, blind or just disabled in another way, um, but they're not getting the visibility um, for some reason or another. Um, and uh, I think um, we need to be better at raising awareness um, for one and kind of raising the voices of other disabled people in the community um and like penny said we're we're not the same um we're disabled but my blindness is different from your blindness and um the way i do something is not the same way that you do something um and i i don't think people out there would expect you know like any other type of identity um to be the same like you know, every Asian person is the same. Um, you know, I'm I'm Asian too, and I've definitely gotten that, but we're not. <laughs> um, and so it's just a matter of uh, being aware of the varying differences and perspectives that each person. Yes, we are a community, but we're also individuals, um, and that we're we're not just this monolith of you know, the blind person or the deaf person. Um, we do things differently. Right, right. Yeah, and I did want to mention, I, I, I think I only went back a year, like it took me like two weeks to go through all the stats and everything, but I, I do believe she mentioned that she's that she recognizes that uh, not all blind people do it this way, whatever the test happens to be. And another thing that I do like is uh, like her comments, I, like I was saying on average, it's 1,000 comments i couldn't go through all of them but i mean it's antidote people have said uh hey molly if it wasn't for you i i would still have the same negative stereotypes that i do about blind people and i and i kind of do like i mean even if uh, i do something different um i do like that people already assume even if i do it different that i can't do the test i don't have to advocate every single time i go out like 
if everybody knew of her and uh, she was that influential and effective, we wouldn't have to continually advocate every day when we go somewhere. Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? They already assume, even if it's Molly Berg doing the work for us. Um, that's how I just feel. Um, any additional comments um, before I move on, uh, guys? I think I'll have to go look her up. Um, thanks for yeah, Molly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. She has a lot of a lot of material and a lot of good stuff. Um, but the next question, uh, you kind of talked about it, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, Dr. Penny, uh, about Helen Keller and the work she did for uh, women's rights and stuff. But the question is about Helen Keller and Hava Germa. Uh, hopefully I'm not mispronouncing her name wrong. She uh, had a book uh, a while ago. Uh, she's the first deaf blind lawyer that graduated from Harvard. But the thing that they have something in common, like they do both advocate for the deaf blind and the blind, but they also did a lot of work, uh, a lot of social uh, work uh, for different, different groups, uh, just not the blind uh, and some people like like when uh, Helen Keller would do women uh, women's rights stuff. Uh, some people didn't didn't like that and they just liked her when she advocated for uh, disability issues. And, and I've heard a little bit about that for Hava Germa. But do you guys think that I mean it's they can it's their right they can advocate for whatever they want. But do you think it hurts us or helps us when they? get out of the, the blind community, advocating just specifically for the blind community and uh, because people give them backlash on whatever, uh, uh, an issue besides blindness that they happen to advocate for. Do you think it hurts us or helps us uh, when they go outside of the blindness community and do advocate work? Uh, and we'll start with you, Min. Okay. Um, I, I think it helps us. Um... I think it goes back to what Penny was saying, um, people like pigeonholing us, like we're, we're not just disabled people. We have a multitude of identities and they all intersect in one way or another. And, um, you know, maybe some people feel really strongly about advocating for the disability, the disability community only, and that's perfectly acceptable. Um, but I, I think that if we just keep our work in the blindness community or the disability community, um, that becomes really insular. And if we, um, like Haben and other people, um, kind of spreading out to other marginalized communities, we become integrated. And, um, you know, we're all working towards um, equality in the end. Um, so if we can work together, um, that's even better. I think that's really great points there. Um, I mean, I was um, pulling up, so I apologize for the ding. <coughs> but if you go to afb.org and in the search engine, you type in Hobbin, H-A-B is in Bravo, E-N, you'll go to a page that's called A Conversation with Hobbin Yerma. And this is a conversation um, that was part of AFB's virtual leadership conference in 2020. Our in-person conference went down the tubes as everybody else. <laughs> so we went to virtual. And um, so Kirk Adams, our CEO and president, um, and, and Hobbin have this great conversation, which is transcribed and captioned, so it's fully accessible. Um, but in it, they talk about Hobbin's um, background, 
her book um, that is called um, Hob and the Deafblind Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law. And I've read that book and it's a wonderful read. I encourage everybody to read it. Um, My copy on Bard. And I think, I think it's wonderful that Havendis doesn't live in the deafblind world, that she's very much an advocate for, um, you know, those who are impoverished. She's an advocate um, for, for women, you know, and, and, and deafblindness is part of her story. I get concerned, and I say this as a person myself with low vision who's, who's achieved well in my field. Um, I get concerned when the first thing people think about me is that I have low vision or I have a visual impairment or they may choose to use the word blind, though, though I don't personally use the word blind to describe myself. Um, the first thing I want them to think about me is, is that I'm a researcher, that I'm a professional in this field, that I've been a teacher of children with visual impairments for 35 years, that I love to ride my bicycle or eat chocolate. Um, both of which people seem to recognize about me if they get to know me even the littlest bit. Um, Visual impairment is a part of who I am. It's brought me to where I am today professionally. I've made some wonderful friends because of my visual impairment for things I've gone, but it does not define me. And I think in both Helen Keller's case and in Javier Guillermo's case, both of these women recognize that it's a part of who they are. It's a very important part. They're not going to deny their deafblindness, but their world doesn't revolve around their deafblindness. They have other experiences, other beliefs, other ways that they connect with people about different topics other than just deafblindness. And I think we should celebrate. Um, I don't think that's a negative at all. Aaron, okay. um, you have two raised hands. Are you taking questions from the audience? Um, we'll take questions at... Um I'll let you know when we'll take questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to lower the then. Okay. Is Dan here? Yeah, I just seen him. Uh, Dan, would you like to, uh, well, you don't know what we've been talking about previously, so I'll just move on to the question, but I've seen that you're here. Um, Did Dan come in? I didn't hear him. Dance. Yes, I'm, I'm here. I apologize for being late. I got uh, okay. way late, so apologize. Stand no, by. No worries. So, um, all right. So, guys, this is um, Dan Spoon, ACB president, and he's one of our panelists. Uh, so, we'll go, we'll go on to our uh, question, uh, the next question. And you kind of touched on it, Dr. Penny, about language, about how you define yourself blind, not blind, but uh, low vision. But the question is, uh, I started off, I noticed a while ago that the autistic community, instead of using awareness, they use acceptance. Um, so I would like to know if you guys think we should start using or adopting that word instead of awareness, acceptance. And also, should we should we work on the language? Because um, um, a lot of people define blind as everything, low vision, uh, other forms of, of uh of blindness, I guess, low vision and, and all that, not just one single form of blindness. Some people really don't like to refer to themselves as blind because that's not what they are. But but I kind of see for people that advocate for the word blind, it's easier for everybody, for the blind and society, just, yeah, I'm blind, even though I don't consider myself blind. It's too much for society to like keep track of, you know, well, you're blind, are you low vision, what are you? So those are the two questions about language, how we define ourselves, blind, low vision, and the word ex- uh, awareness changed to acceptance. And uh, we'll start off with you, Dan. Great to see you, by the way. 
Oh, well, sure. Well, thank you all. Thanks for inviting me this evening or this afternoon. Um, well, you know, things evolve and change. Um, I find myself now using the terms blind and low vision more than visually impaired um, because I do think a lot of people think of of themselves as someone that is experiencing some level of vision loss, but they don't necessarily think of themselves as, they definitely don't think of themselves as blind and they don't really think of themselves as having a quote unquote visual impairment. You know, that's kind of has a little more of a, uh, can have a little more of a negative connotation to it. So um, I think language is important and it continues to evolve. Um, one of the things uh, related to language that I see over and over again is the use of blind to to denote things way beyond loss of eyesight. You know, uh, you'll hear term. You know, you'll hear commentators on you know radio shows or television shows very smart intelligent people but you know they will use blind to mean you know that was so simple a blind person could could understand it i mean really implying that someone who is blind is someone that has you know reduced amount of knowledge or or understanding or has at a greater level of ignorance or lack of awareness so I think language is very, very powerful. I would encourage uh, any of you, go, go to your A-Lady device and ask for definitions of, of blind. And it's amazing how many definitions are out there, and so many of them uh, have a real negative uh, stereotype to them. So I do think language is, is very, very powerful. Um, so I'll kind of leave it at that. When you say awareness versus acceptance um i don't know that's 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 an interesting concept um personally i i kind of like the idea of awareness and that i think it's important for people to know that you you know you have you know a, a vision uh issue but but on the other hand um acceptance to me is kind of i, I Everybody needs to be accepted no matter who they are, right? So um, I think of those as kind of really two different terms. Awareness is one thing. Acceptance is is really kind of taking society to that next level of diversity, equity, and inclusion where you're meeting me where I am. And I think that's very, very powerful. So I do like that uh, kind of concept of moving from people being aware to people accepting you for who you are, a person who, by the way, has has uh, you know is dealing with vision loss. So, right, right, yeah. right. By the way, happy birthday to ACB, sixty years old. Oh yes, we'll we'll yeah, be yeah. celebrating that tonight some more. It opens. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Normally it's yeah. Happy birthday to all of us. That's right. Yeah, normally yeah. it's bad the older you get, but this is a good. It's sixty years of experience and and advocating on behalf of everybody uh, in the organized blind movement, but specifically the ACB. But um, Min, uh, would you like to go? Yeah, go ahead and go. Sure. Um, yeah. Thanks. You're asking really great questions. Um, I I think language is very powerful, um, and I think um, you know, growing up in our generation, where seeing more now people understanding what 
an impact language and the words that we use can have on individuals and groups. Um, and I, I do like that, um, you know, we're talking about awareness and acceptance. Um, but I think like Dan said, I think it's kind of two separate ideas in my head. Um, when you're making people more aware about something, we're, get, we're giving them information, um, we're making them more cognizant of the fact that disabled people are here and we're living our lives and um, of the adaptations that we're using to be successful and to be independent. Um, the acceptance kind of means like you should accept me for who I am for the entire package. Um, and I, I think that's a little bit different um, because you know, I'm, I guess I'm not accepting or, or I'm not expecting some random person on the street to accept me. They don't really know me, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, we can be very different people that have nothing in common. So, um, you know, I, I rather them just be aware that I am a blind woman and that I might do things differently. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to like accept each other um but kind of going back to the words that we use um i i don't think we need to make it easier for people to um use the words i i think we should challenge this notion of like we should make it easier for society to um express their opinions or you know views um the words that they use um i think it's more important that we teach um you know children growing up and people now that you should be able to express your disability in any way shape or form that you would like so i like to say that i'm blind because i'm totally blind but you know um Dr. Penny, she has been calling herself low vision. That's fine too. Um, another person might want to be called, uh, you know, sightless, whatever it is. Um, it's not the word that I would use, but if that's how they want to define themselves and I'm going to respect it, um, you know, I think we, I think in some ways we need labels in order to um, have a group term. You know, we can't use all the words um, that people would like to be described as, but in terms of interacting with one another, just like we ask people now what your preferred pronouns are, I think it's important to ask, you know, how would you like to be referred to as a person with a, with a disability? Right, right. And uh, Dr. Penny? I love, Min, what you said about um, we ask people what pronouns they would like to be referred to and, and, and that that idea of asking people what, how they would like to be described. Um, in my role as the director of research at the American Foundation for the Blind, I spend a lot of time thinking about words and the meaning of words. And right now, I, I knew I would find a way to give a plug for a survey that's doing AFP, <laughs> and it's called the Journey Forward. So it's we want to know about your experiences as somebody who is blind, low vision, or deafblind. And I'm saying those words very specifically, and I'll say why in just a moment. Um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you go to afb.org forward slash JF, 
you'll learn about our flatten inaccessibility study and get a link to our journey forward study. So we did flatten inaccessibility right when COVID started in April of 2020 and had 1921 visually impaired people who shared their experience. And as we looked at the, the data, um, people's comments about, you know, this was back when you couldn't find toilet paper and grocery shelves were bare and you were wiping down your doorknobs and your groceries. Um, it was interesting to read the comments that people left about, well, as somebody who's blind, is somebody who's both visually impaired and hearing impaired, is somebody who has a dual sensory loss, is somebody who's deafblind, is somebody who doesn't see well. And it really was kind of interesting for me, not that we've gone back and really looked at the terms that people used to describe themselves, but there was all different kinds of terms. Now, the concerns were very similar, like how am I going to get my groceries when this app isn't accessible? Or how am I going to get places when I don't want to be anywhere near, near other people and people don't want to be anywhere near me and there's nothing in my community I can walk to, so I have to get into some kind of vehicle. It didn't matter what you chose as a term to describe yourself, there's a lot of continuity in terms. But as we put together on this journey forward, which closes August 9th, um, so make sure you do it, um, we wanted to make sure that we were representing um, and not offending and not leaving out different groups of people. So we very specifically, and all the documentation, you know, the consent that you do, the advertising, um, throughout the questions in many places. So sometimes we did use visually impaired because, you know, as a person who's blind, has a low vision or is deafblind, does get a little long at times. Right. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, we tried like in each section to kind of start out that way. And then we did consciously move to visually impaired. So our team did spend time thinking about the words and, and what does that mean to different people. Um, I, I, I love your idea of picking the pronouns that describe you. I'm seriously going to think about doing that my own self. Um, <laughs> as far as the awareness um, question, you know, I guess to me, I, this is me personally, not the director of research at AFB, um, I feel like I spend a lot of time building awareness about visual impairment, that that's one of my roles as somebody who happens to not see well. Um, or is no vision, whatever term I choose to use. Um, and I, I feel like as a steward of visual impairmentness, part of my job in, in life is to help people understand that, yeah, I didn't drive a car to get here, but here I am doing whatever this activity is. Um, I, I started taking pottery classes right before the pandemic. Um, and you know, my husband drops me off and picks me up, which is great, though in theory I could ride my bike there, but it's hard to bring home your pottery and not mess it up. Um, but, you know, I had to educate the, the two instructors about the accommodations I need as somebody who doesn't see their demos in detail. And now we have a great flow going. So, you know, I brought awareness to that studio of the need of somebody who doesn't see the demonstration with typical 2020 vision. And both these ladies have been learned to be very descriptive, to use tactual cues, you know, you know, rather than just saying, well, you press it off this hard. You know, one lady will just say to me, let me show you on your arm. And she'll show me, take, physically take the tool and press it on my arm to show me the amount of pressure I should use with this tool. I'm really proud of myself for helping them build their awareness mm -hmm. um, and, and, and giving me access to something that I really now am truly enjoying. 
So sorry, long answer again. No, <laughs> that's good. No worry. All, all great answers. All great answers. Uh, but uh, next is a uh, next kind of category subcategory in this presentation is a uh, disability disability education. And the question is, so there's certain groups in uh, certain states, uh, for example, the LGBT community uh, wanting to make a, a education, like kind of an awareness uh, in school and sort and that sort of stuff. Uh, and there's also other groups that already have uh, awareness, acceptance, uh, education, mandatory, voluntarily or voluntary uh, um, sort of curriculum and that sort of stuff. But do you think that as as a disability community or as the disability community, we should get priority over other groups and 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 also should we get priority in the in awareness in the disability community because we're blind? Because I know I I, I know at least I think in my state for like a vocational rehab, uh, the blind get priority when it comes to like receiving stuff or getting help. Um, uh, over other disability groups. So should, do you think we should get, first of all, a priority over other other groups when it comes to education, dis, uh, uh, like group education, and also get priority over other disability groups as the blind community? And, and whether, whether, whether that happens to be in school, at the workplace, when it comes to uh, disability education or education in, for our group in general. And we'll start with uh, Dr. Penny. I would like you to go first. I think you were going to say that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like switching it up. I'm like trying to keep track in my head. Like I'm trying to keep you guys on your you're, do, you're doing a great job. And when I run panels, I do the same thing. You don't always want to start with the same person. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to share a personal pet peeve of mine. This is personal. This is not representing the American Foundation for the Blind. Mm. I'm Dr. Adams. Give a disclaimer. <laughs> Make sure this is not what Dr. Adams would say. No, no, definitely. <laughs> We'll put that in the in the archive in the archive of, of the recording. <laughs> so nobody's calling up Kirk and saying your director of research said AFP. No. Um, but my personal, this is my personal pet peeve. When I go to do my taxes, my federal income taxes every year, I can check a box that says I'm legally blind. I happen to not meet the legal blindness criteria, so I do not check that box. But I question every year. Why isn't there a box that says I have a physical disability? Why isn't there a box that says I'm, um, I'm a first generation um, immigrant to the United States? Why isn't there a box that says I'm short? Why isn't there, you know, and I can go on and on and on. Why do people who happen to meet the criteria in the United States of legal blindness get to check a box and, you know, get whatever's done to their taxes? You know, they pay less money because they check that box. That irks me um, very much as an individual who contributes financially by you know earning a paycheck and paying my taxes. I'm a property owner. I own half a car. I pay registration, you know, and all that stuff that comes with owning part of a car. You know, I pay my stuff owning part, you know, half of a home. I, I share these things with my husband, who happens to be sighted. Um, and I think what a negative message that box sends to people um, because, wow, those, those legally blind people can't take care of themselves that the government needs to give them a handout. Um, so my, my belief is probably different than many other people's beliefs. Um, I, I think people with autism need a lot of support. I think people who happen to have a hearing impairment need a lot of support. And so 
I, again, this is me personally, not my organization I'm representing today, but me personally, I, I think it needs to be based on people's needs, not on a label that is assigned to them by a government entity. And that, again, is my personal belief. Right, right. Okay. Once again, she's representing herself, but uh, just giving you a hard time, uh, Dr. Penny. Uh, we'll go to you uh, next, uh, Mr. Danspoon, President Danspoon. Uh, sure. Well, I think, um, I don't know. It's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough call here. I, I, I do think in certain areas, when we talk about rehabilitative services, it's been proven time and time again that if you have a separate agency providing services to the blind, then they then then our community gets a better a better shake a better a better fair share of those services as opposed to being lumped into all vocational rehabilitative uh, services. It's just you know there's there's unique special uh, circumstances of what is required to, you know, to provide rehab services to somebody who's blind versus other disabilities. So I do, I do believe there is value there. And I I think it kind of gets borne out when you see, um, you know, states that kind of have all of it lumped together as opposed to states that do break out, uh, you know, uh, services for for the blind and low vision. So from that standpoint, I do think there's value. It, it is kind of interesting uh, what Dr. Penny is saying related to government, and 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 that is like it's. Of course, there's nothing about the government that's fair. And what is kind of interesting there is, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the, you know, the blind and deafblind community had a wonderful advocate in Helen Keller who got a lot of these laws put on the books in the United States that still exist. Uh, so, you know, there is, uh, you know, a different amount of compensation if you are blind for Social Security disability insurance. Uh, for standard deductions on income taxes. And, and, you know, a lot of that got put into effect, you know, many, many years ago. And it is a stigma that we have to, that we have to deal with and, and overcome because it's saying, oh my gosh, there's, there's lots of bad disabilities, but the worst one is being blind, mm-hmm. you know? And so that is, you know, something that's, that is very, very prevalent in society that we continue to, you know, to have to advocate against, you know, and, and, and try to change social views and norms about. So I, I, I don't, in some of those cases, it's, I don't really see, you know, we get, we get sometimes that extra benefit and, and I'm not sure why, um, Except that it's history, and once a law gets put in place, it's it's hard to it's hard to modify it or change it. Um, and so, it uh, I think in some cases, you know, if you look at SSDI, it can actually lead to you know kind of a glass ceiling for our uh, our our community that. You, you're almost incentivized to make income to a certain level, but you're really afraid to go over that 
that cliff and, you know, and lose your benefits and lose your health insurance. And it, there's a huge disincentive. And this really comes into play with education because, you know, that's probably a, you know, twenty to $25,000 a year benefit. So if you go from making $2,000 a month to $3,000 a month and you lose $2,500 a month in benefits, you're worse off by taking that job that could turn into a career for you. Mm-hmm. So be very interested to see what, you know, um, others as students and, and, and people think about that. But I, do, you, do you still see that in, in today's community as a disincentive sometimes for our, for our community? Right, right. Yes. Great answer to that, man. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I think when we talk about issues like this, um, it gets very political. Mm. Um, and I think it's, you know, Dan, you brought up a really great point of there's, you know, there's this issue for students and young professionals nowadays, I feel like where, where we have to choose between our career or making sure that we have the benefits that we do. Um, and I think personally, I've been in that position where, you know, I was making a certain amount on SSI and I had internships and jobs and I had to, you know, mostly it was the health insurance um, benefit that was the biggest concern because I had these health issues. Um, and I, you know, I think it's really sad that the system worked the way it does. Um, you know, and I think it's it's a holdover from that stigma from you know the past um, where people thought that people with disabilities couldn't work, um, maybe shouldn't work. Um, and so, you know, that's why we're here in ACB to try and get those laws to change, um, and just even. Going back to Dr. Penny's point about the taxes, you know, growing up, my I felt like my family's biggest barrier wasn't the fact that my mom had a blind daughter. Um, it was the fact that we were immigrants, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it would have been really nice to have kind of a tax cut because, um, you know, my mom was supporting children. Um, and we were immigrants and she couldn't get kind of a higher paying job because she didn't speak English, all of these things. Um, and I think it ties into, I'm a big proponent of looking at intersectionality of all of different identities. Um, because again, like we're not just disabled people where, uh, you know, we have all these other identities that impact how we move through the world. Um, and so, no, I we shouldn't get priority of any kind. And I think when we implement disability education and history, why don't we put Helen Keller in the women's right in the women's rights movement? You know, in the civil rights movement. Um, you know, so that she she was a disabled person, but she was also a fierce advocate for women. And so, if we kind of center people with disabilities in all of these movements and um, highlight their 
uh, multiple identities. I think that would make our history a lot richer instead of kind of focusing on um, kind of like the more Eurocentric history that we're presented in a lot of our public school systems um, today. Right, right. Yeah, all, all great answers. And and now kind of more specific, this is a, a blindness campaign to, to bring in awareness. And it's a Blindness Awareness Month, which is in October, I think October 15. Hopefully, is that why, Kane? Hope, I hope I'm not getting it wrong. Uh, I think that's the, the day. Uh, feel free to correct me, but uh, this is my personal opinion and where this question comes from. I, I, per- I personally believe it's it's very ineffective and and uh, kind of worthless. So the reason I feel like that and kind of getting to the question is, I feel like only the people that are aware of this and that that really do anything and and because it's so ineffective, I feel like the only people that it really affects is is the blind and and like our close friends that already know we're blind and know how to treat us and how we're the same. Um, I really think it's kind of useless for the general public because it kind of stays in the community. It's like kind of a bubble when we put this uh, blindness awareness month together and promote it. It kind of really stays stays in the community and is very ineffective, at least in my opinion. And what I have observed, I think it's just, I mean, it brings in money for certain organizations and that's good, putting money so we can advocate. Even if you don't disagree, if you agree this or or agree with that organization, I feel like that's a big reason they keep doing it. I, I kind of think that they know that it's very ineffective, like it has limited reach. But I would like to know how you guys feel about this, about Blindness Awareness Month. Um, and we'll start off with uh, Min. You can go first, Min. Um, I... Once again, I just want to say, uh, sorry, Min, I just want to say this is how I personally feel, not representing ACB or ACB students, but go ahead, Min, sorry. <laughs> All the disclaimers. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, so I, I go back and forth on this i i think having days of celebration is really important even if it doesn't go beyond our community i think it uh promotes morale it promotes the feeling that you know we we are here we're speaking out we're raising awareness for our group um and you know that that sense of belonging and uh, collaboration is really helpful when you're an advocate in your community because um, sometimes advocacy really sucks. It's um, it's lonely sometimes. It's hard. You know, um, it feels like you're fighting an uphill battle all the time. Um, but when we have these types of celebrations, um, it do, it it doesn't make you feel like you're alone and like you're participating and contributing to a bigger cause. Um, so I think that's important. Um, but you know, like, like any other type of celebration that has to take momentum, um, it takes time and resources to reach a broader audience. So even if it's kind of ineffective now, it might not be in five years, 10 years, 50 years. Right, right. And uh, Mr. Dan Spoon, President Dan Spoon, you can go next. Sure. I, well, 
I think I disagree a little bit with you in that I, I do think there there is value in having uh, awareness days, awareness months, but a lot of it is how we go about implementing implementing it, I think. I, what, what I think happens a lot inside the American Council of Blind and our local chapters and, and even maybe if we're partnering in a local community with uh, NFB and the blinded veterans, that if we're not careful, you're exactly right. It ends up us kind of all getting together and, and not, not really reaching out to the larger community. And what we really need to do to have awareness is we've got to got to take that next step sometimes not be not the most comfortable step but to reach out beyond our our group to to the larger community um in Orlando, where I live, we, we've been successful in kind of with, between our lighthouse and NFB and our ACB chapter, uh, you know, we get together and really have a celebration day and we involve our city and county commissioners, we involve our police force, our fire, uh, fire department, uh, you know, those people that are providing social services to us, uh, you know, we, we've, we have ice cream carts and we have all kinds of different stuff. And, and as a consequence of that, I think uh, I'll use it as an example. Our local representative is Val Demings, uh, you know, who was on the, uh, the first impeachment hearings there uh, in, 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 gosh, was it two years ago now? Um, and, and she's now gotten a fair amount of, of national notoriety and is now going to run for the U.S. Senate in Florida. Well, she knows who we are because we have talked to her and we have met her and she has read our pl- proclamation at White Cane Safety Day. And so we have we have an ally there that we wouldn't have had if we didn't do White Cane Safety Day and get that awareness out there. So, you know, the mayor knows who we are. I mean, Leslie and I, uh, you know, like to travel down to Key West, Florida. Well, we met when we were down there, we went and visited their local Lions Club and talked about the American Council of the Blind and accessible voting and all these things, you know. Uh, later on that year, they invited us back down there as their honorary guests for White Cane Safety Day, and they had a parade down Duval Street. You know, that it's those kind of things that make a difference where you're actually really getting out to the broader community. So it's hard. Um, it, it's hard to organize and do those things, but I think the better we get at it, uh, the better we'll be in the long run. Uh, an example right now, I loved men's thought about intersectionality, we're seeing an example come together where the Harriet Tugman $20 bill, where you have women that are advocating for the $20 bill with Harriet Tugman because they want to see a woman on the bill. You have the African-American community uh, advocating because they want to see someone, you know, who, who truly worked to, you know, for freedom for, for African-Americans in this country to be recognized. At the same time, because of the lawsuit that the that the American Council of Blind filed back in 2008, the next bill that's printed in the United States has to have access has to be accessible currency. It has to have, you know, large print and and tactile identification. And so, 
if these different groups don't fight against each other but come together, it brings just a more powerful voice, uh, you know, to the Bureau of Printing and Engraving and the U.S. Treasury to say this is what – and the Biden administration to say we want this to happen and we want it to happen now. And we all want it to happen. So I think there, there again, is ability through intersectionality to build these stronger communities that can really make a difference in the end. But it can be discouraging. I, I understand where you're at because if you're not, if, sometimes you feel like, well, there are just six of us that got together and we walked across the street a couple of times with our guide dogs. And what good did that really do? You know, we could have been at the bar having a drink instead. Yeah, <laughs> that comes after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I was in a meeting with, with fo- folks who work in the visual impairment field. Um, I was the, happened to be the only person with a visual impairment in this meeting. And one of my <laughs> colleagues, Carly Rhodes, said, do you guys know that this is, in July, that this is National Disability Pride Month? Yes. We're like, mm-hmm. no, we didn't. None of us knew. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. We've all combined probably have 150 years in the vision biz as mm-hmm. professionals. Um, and so Carly wrote a blog post, it's on afb.org forward slash blog, um, to raise awareness about that. And, you know, I'm hoping next July that AFB will do some, um, you know, publicity and events around this potentially, since I just learned about it on Monday, I'm not committing the organization, but I am committing myself to be much more aware. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a workplace technology study um, that we're publishing and we're very specifically publishing it in the month of October, which is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which um, I'm reading about it here. Um, The Office of Disability Employment Policy is, is kind of behind this month. And we want not just to do a town hall for people who happen to not see well, who either are employed or want to get employed, but we're looking at doing a town hall that would be for vendors. Um, so, you know, folks who make, um, oh, we're learning, gonna learn people, people soft software and Salesforce software that is used in the workplace that isn't very accessible. So that, um, you know, Microsoft and Google, we don't wanna just talk to the visually impaired people. They know what the accessibility challenges are. We want to we want to raise that awareness for for folks who make tools for people to use in the workforce, and those tools might not be accessible. And also for employers, on you know, hey, you know, just because somebody happens to show up with a cane or a guide dog for an interview, doesn't mean that you just say, oh, I'm sorry, we filled that position, bye. Um, which is what a lot of folks in our survey are telling us happens to them. All of a sudden, that job doesn't exist. So I, I think these months and days are important. Especially if we look at as as um, as Dan said, how do we reach those outside of the choir, so to speak? So thanks, Aaron. Great question. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And before we open it up for questions, uh, I want to thank uh, Minha, the student president of the national at the national level for the students, and Dan Spoon, ACV president, who's going to party later on tonight at general session, celebrating the 60th birthday, and also yeah. happy birthday to AFB and thanking. Uh, Dr. Penny from the AFB, which great resources and and everybody should check them out. They're uh, very data driven, which I like. I like data and, and stats and all that stuff. It tells a great story and it's hard to deny uh, data and stats. And then 
And once again, if you like what you're hearing, you can uh, check us out and follow us on, on Facebook at, uh, at ACB Students and on Twitter, ACB Students. And now we can open it up for questions. Um, for- Josh Pearson is first. You may speak. Yes. Hello. Uh, this is an excellent panel. I really appreciate you, all of your perspectives. Um, thinking about the idea of disability awareness and education, I think we as a community have an ownership um, to not only teach the world at large about disability, but also each other. That's a large piece of what I see missing. People come into this community, but they lack the foresight and the knowledge around all of our disability history, in particular, um, our our blindness history. Um, I'm trying to do that work in in capturing our modern day history, um, but also I'm looking to build a platform that teaches disability rights, teaches about systemic ableism, good grounding and blindness history, all of that kind of stuff. Question for Penny around um, funding for something like that. Are there areas that you would advise somebody doing that kind of oral history work uh, and and um, other related historical things to, to look into. And then specifically as a community, um, we have seen in the past year, uh, unfortunately, with the result of all of the racial related protests, an, a massive amount of awareness when it comes to uh, racism and literally spelling out this is this is what the everyday experience is like. We need to do that same exact thing with ableism or nothing is ever going to change. What ownership uh, do we as a community have in teaching people about ableism? How can we properly implement that? And do you think there is a space specifically for Voc Rehab as a state governmental agency to take on a piece of that? They're really good at harping at us about all of the skills that we need. They put all of that ownership on us as the individual, but don't hold society accountable for its piece of things. Well, Josh, I wish we had about two hours. It sounds like it would be yeah. <laughs> Just one um, quick thing. Uh, uh, we have eight minutes, so I do want to get as many questions. Uh, but uh, So keep uh, your answers and questions short and sweet, guys. Uh, uh, sure. We definitely appreciate you guys liking uh, this panel. But sorry about that, Dr. Penning. Sorry for- no, that's okay. I'd like to give my email not just to Josh, but to everybody. So I'll say that at the end of my response so that folks can write that down because I'd love to continue the dialogue with Josh and with anybody else. Um, AFB is interested in preserving history and making history. So if you go to afb.org forward slash history, you'll find some of our resources, including um, information about Helen Keller. And I mentioned that at the top of the um, session that we have a lot of archival information. Um, We have staff at AFB who are very interested in archiving and working with other groups of other disability groups to ensure that history is is preserved and and in that preservation is accessible, not just around those with vision loss. Um, I think think VR has a lot lot of influence in many states. Um, They do tend to be very skill focused and I would love to see a change in philosophy. I think that's gonna take a lot of work and a lot of communities coming together. Thanks. Okay, next we have Bavia Shah. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. Spoon, Minaha, Dr. Penny, for... Um, Scholarship winner here. We have our, <laughs> yes, our ACB, AFB. Don't remember, AFB put, put money up to. There are partners in crime when it comes to handing out scholarships, but 
<laughs> Go ahead, my friend. He's actually my friend from California. Stanford. He is, he is. I am yeah. from California. Um, but just wanted to comment on that incredible panel. And I will keep my question brief. So it's two part, a part of it is societal, which I hope Dr. Penny can take and a part is organizational, which I hope Preston Spoon can. Um, I was recently thinking about disability awareness as a function of the subsection, that is to say the blind community, deaf community and whatnot. And we touched on these themes of disparate disability groups. I was wondering, Dr. Penny, if there is any existing literature in research about how much cross-disability awareness there is? For instance, how much do blind people know about autism? Do they have a positive philosophy of it? Do they just don't know anything? And how that might lead to the consolidation or lack thereof of the disability rights movement as a whole? And leading off of that, Preston Spoon, if your assessment of the landscape of different disability advocacy organizations across the country as the president of one of the largest one in the blindness space. Um, if there is a lot of relationships between disability organizations or there is more fragmentation than collaboration. Uh, uh, my part will be very quick. Um, that is a fascinating topic and I do not, I've never looked to see if there's research on it. I have not, I, I tend to um, skim very heavily our Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness that comes out every uh, six times a year, every two months. I cannot recall seeing an article about that, but there are many other sources, obviously, for publication. So great question and one I need to look into. Yes, Case. and I'll say real quick for on, on the coalitions and the partnerships, most definitely, both inside the blindness field and outside with larger disability groups. Things like what we did this year where we brought all of our major partners inside of the blindness field together and did a fireside chat and had them all uh, participate in our DC leadership conference, I think is a huge step forward because we're so much more powerful when we have a common voice. And then the American Council of Blind is involved in many cross-disability groups, including CCD and others, that because there is just so much more power if you can have a common issue with a common voice. So yes, we, we always look to partner. And I think we have room for, uh, thanks for the question. Um, I think we have room for two more uh, questions and then we're going to like magically disappear. I'll go ahead and give my email address as well. It is E as in Penny Rosenblum, R-O-S-E-N, B-L-U-M at AFB.org. And again, I would love everybody um, at ACB and especially folks on this um, uh, call to do our journey forward survey. So AFB.org forward slash journey forward. Um, so thank you. And I'll be happy to stay for questions. Ted Chittenden, go thank ahead. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just have a quick comment here. Um, with regard to the question of awareness versus acceptance, we are now, we are always going to be looking at awareness because it's a numbers game. The incidence of blindness among the population is so low that she can go through life as a sighted pe person and never, ever meet a blind person person or visually impaired person. So the awareness is always, always going to be front and center. So I can make a lot of other statements, but I think that to me is the most important one. 
Yeah, um, and I think we might have room for one more. Uh, yeah, and just hitting on that, the first blind person I think I ever seen was like on Family Guy uh, when Brian has a blind girlfriend. That's the first, I think I was like 15 or something. Uh, ever <laughs> and that's not even a real blind person. But uh, one more quick uh, question or comment. Um, hey, it's Sharon Strizelkowski. Hi. Uh, hello. I have a comment and, and a question. My comment is, I think if Helen Keller was living today, she would she might look back on some of the things that she helped to, to institute and say it needs to be changed. You know, she was a product of her time and she was remarkable, but she was still a product of her time. You know, the night right. for the blind and all that. And mm -hmm. my question is um, to think about every day on the traffic report, we hear a disabled vehicle on such and such a road <laughs> let's think uh, let's think of a different word let's have a contest <laughs> and mm -hmm. start to change that because everybody hears that thank you yeah i'll, I'll one little quick you know major league baseball has now changed their term from the disabled list to the injured list Yes. You know, just small word language matters. And real quick on acceptance versus awareness. My wife and I, Leslie, you know, we go to our local sports bar. And the first time two blind people walked into this sports bar, it was like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Right. And so then we wanted to join a fantasy, a fantasy football league. And they're like, a fantasy it was actually a fantasy baseball league and they're like oh no 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 these are for people who really understand baseball so finally <laughs> after four years they had two people who didn't show up one day so we got to be in the fantasy baseball league well we named ourselves the blind bats and <laughs> we started playing this fantasy baseball well we won two out of the first three years <laughs> and so now we've gone way beyond awareness to acceptance to now when we walk in the bar, they go, the bats are in the house and people who don't know us go, oh, that is so insulting. But no, we are now totally accepted because we beat their pants off of them a couple of times. And that is a really good feeling. But it takes time, right? But it, yeah. it is that to me, that's the difference between awareness and acceptance. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. Thank you, Dan. That's <laughs> yeah, and I guess if, we I'm have sorry. to go. <laughs> yeah, sorry for Bye -bye. not getting your questions in, but you guys can easily find Dan Spoon on AAC's website, also Minha and and then Dr. Penny on AFB's site. It should be super hard to find, but definitely email them if you have follow-up questions yeah. or myself uh, with follow-up questions. And once again, my personal opinions. And, and Dr. Penny's personal opinions are different from ACB's opinions. And all right. Have a great convention and happy birthday to ACB 60 years old and AFB 100. You guys ain't got nothing on them. <laughs>